Hello, everybody. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Smart Health Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Keyes. So what is the Smart Health Podcast and who am I? Great questions. Uh, The Smart Health Podcast is designed to inform the listener on topical health and wellness subjects. um, And we do that by connecting them with very legitimate health experts, all while kind of putting it into a sweet little 20-ish minute package. And who am I? Well, I have my master's in kinesiology, and I am a certified strength and conditioning specialist. Um, I have a background in health and wellness and personal training, and really just kind of have a curious brain and like to seek out life-changing information to share with you, the listener. So thank you for listening. Welcome to the podcast, and let's dive in, shall we? So our first topic is heart health. Um, February is the American Heart Month. And with me today, I am blessed to have a Dr. Saeed Raza, and we have we are very we are very treated today. Um, so here here's here's his background. Dr. Raza was named VP of Medical Operations in February 2015. He previously served as Associate CMO and Chief Hospitalist for the Primary Hospital Group in Woodlands Hospital for eight years. In addition to significant professional accomplishments, Raza has served as Chairman of Medicine at Memorial Hermann, the Woodlands Hospital, and Chief of Staff at Reliant Rehab Hospital. Raza earned a bachelor's degree in biology from the University of Texas at Austin, received a medical degree, and completed his internship at the residency of, and residency at Baylor College of Medicine. Currently, he is a diplomat of the American Board of Internal Medicine. He is a highly respected physician who has been a key contributor to the growth and success of CHI St. Luke's Health, the Woodlands campus. Currently resides in the Woodlands with his wife, Yasmin, and three children. And with all of those accolades, has been described as probably the coolest cucumber in the batch. (laughs) So I'm not sure about... I appreciate all of that. That's great. I'm not sure about the coolest cucumber in the batch, Uh, I'm sure my psychiatrist would probably (laughs) beg to differ. Well, anytime I've been around you, I feel like just you just float on. Like there's no ounce of anxiety around at all. Oh, no, no. I'm heavily medicated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate you being here. And uh, thank you for taking the time to do this. Um, As you know, we are talking about heart health. Uh, And February, like I said before, is American Heart Month. So I guess one of the questions I have, why do we even dedicate an entire month to heart health? You know, it's interesting that we dedicate one of the shortest months of the year to heart health. It's uh, it's such a big deal. Um, you know, 600,000 people a year die just in the United States uh, because, of, because of heart disease. It is a lot because if you look at the overall numbers, it's about two and a half million people die every year in the U.S. for any number of causes. And so one out of every four um, is because of heart disease. I didn't um, know that. And, um, you know, the uh, it affects women and men pretty much equally, and it's the leading cause of death in women and men. Wow. That's crazy. So, um, I mean, that's kind of what my next question was, is who is affected? Um, Now, are women affected at all any differently? Sure. Um, You know, it's very interesting. Um, So I have a little anecdote about that. The um, original uh, studies that came out that sort of described uh, what the symptoms that you're going to have with angina and heart disease were done on uh, a bunch of overweight males 
in the uh, in Massachusetts in Framingham, Massachusetts. It was called the Framingham Heart Study. It was a massive study, um, and uh, it was all almost all exclusively men. So the description of having pain in your chest that's kind of pressure like goes to your left arm, and then you break out in a sweat. You have nausea and shortness of breath and vomiting. Um, that was sort of classic for that subset of people. Uh, it didn't include women. It didn't include people of color. Um, and so what we've learned through the years is that the symptoms in women can be completely different. So, uh, you know, I had an aunt who called me. She was, in, she was visiting my cousins in uh, Atlanta a few months ago, and she was describing having heaviness in her arms. Um, and the key feature that really bothered me was when she said it happened when she walked and it went away when she rested. So that's classic. It means that you have demand ischemia. It means that as you're up and moving and you're exerting yourself and your heart rate's going up, there's decreased blood flow and that that gets better when you rest. That's classic symptoms right. for, um, for angina. And so it, it also uh, shows you that uh, women can have completely different symptoms. Yeah. I, I hope she's okay. Oh, she's great. She actually ended up going to one of the Emory hospitals and had an angioplasty and a stent done to her LAD, which is the what they call the widow maker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it did prove to be true that, that her symptoms were completely different than uh, what we mostly think of. Uh, and her symptoms went away after she had that. That's great. Placed. That's yeah. good. That's good. Um, what are some of the biggest risk factors for someone for cardiovascular disease? Yeah. So, you know, uh, there's always, there, they come and go, but the main, five main ones have always been there. So family history, smoking, diabetes, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol. Um, th- those ones are uh, uh, the most common and those are the major risk factors. Is there any particular one that would be, say, the most impactful? Um, well, I, you know, obviously outside of smoking, I think it's very frequent that I see uh, smokers present uh, to the hospital with uh, with some sort of uh, heart disease. And so I think that, that one definitely is preventable. It's the most easily preventable of all of them. I shouldn't say that. It's very hard to quit smoking. Right. So if you can not start smoking, that would be the best. If you do, if you have started, then make plans to quit. Um, but as far as the other ones go, um, you know, cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, those are risk factors that you can control. Right. Um, diabetes, whether it mean it means that you're taking the right medications and keeping your sugars in check, high blood pressure, making sure that you're getting the checked on a frequent basis by your doctor or your advanced practice advanced practice professional um, or um, you know cholesterol making sure that you're on a statin and getting making sure that your LDL cholesterol is going down below 100 and your uh, HDL cholesterol is coming up uh, also a lot of those risk factors can be uh, uh, improved significantly not just with medications but also with uh, diet and exercise you know, with, with what I do, um, I work a lot with, uh, with clients on, on all kinds of health goals. And one of the things I really push is um, how perfection can be sometimes a challenge. You know, you, you said getting your number down to 100 or you know, taking your medication. And, and those things are, those, are, those are obviously very good things. But 
Um, like for example, if I'm working with someone on their diet, um, and they're just devastated that one day of the week they had a bowl of ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, so with all of the things you're talking about, um, I can, I can understand how taking all of them on and trying to be perfect would be a, a challenge. Do you, do you kind of subscribe to that perfection or excessive action is required? So, um, you know, I think that, um, striving for perfection is fine. Uh, there's, uh, probably 0.0001% of the population that can actually achieve it. Um, and so you have to uh, design processes that the vast majority of people are going to be able to succeed at and uh, are going to be able to be compliant with. Uh, so if you have a process that's very difficult uh, to do, then nobody's going to nobody's gonna, uh, do it. Yeah, I always say convenience is key. Convenience is key. Uh, making it so that it's part of your daily routine is key. Um, you know, it, it's sort of like uh, 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 trying to boil the ocean. There's no point. Right. You're not going to be able to do it. So uh, what you want is you want to be able to get your cholesterol level down a little bit. Get your blood pressure level down close to the range. But it doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, you know, uh, get your um, get your uh, blood sugars checked on a frequent basis. Uh, take the medications and and then uh, see an endocrinologist. These are um, these are sort of bread and butter ways of getting your risk factors uh, under control. If you're obese, then you can't make your goal to lose three and a half to four pounds a week. It's not going to happen, and you're going to get frustrated and you're going to quit. The goal has to be closer to a half pound to a pound a week, uh, and it's a lot more doable because that basically translates to a to a, a calorie deficit of about 500 calories uh, a day. Yeah, which is a lot more doable if you think about it than you know trying to have a calorie deficit of about 1,500 to 2,000 calories a day. That's yeah, it's hard. completely undoable. Yeah, you know, kind of going back to when you said blood pressure and your blood sugar. Um, you know, when I'm working with clients and, and if those are issues for them, I'll tell them, you know, you can relate a blood pressure monitor or cuff to just like having a scale. It's the same concept. And, and most of them are inexpensive, very access, uh, accessible. Um, so and same with the blood sugar monitors as well. So um, sometimes I don't think people realize that a scale that almost every person has in a house is just like some of these other very important health monitors. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's becoming uh, more accessible, all of these sort of modalities. Uh, I mean, in the future, what's going to happen is that a lot of this is going to be uh, you can monitor it with a patch or uh, something uh, in a more in a more virtual way. Um, and your physician will be able to monitor as well. I mean, the the, uh, uh, the Apple Watch and the Fitbits are classic examples of uh, technology that will eventually be able to translate uh, to us being able to monitor how we're doing on all of these fronts. Uh, very frequently. Yeah. Um, all right. So when is it recommended to get a heart checkup? So, um, so it's not specific to heart, but in general, when you're, when you hit the age of 20, you should probably start getting your blood pressure checked by a primary care physician. Um, it doesn't have to be every year. It's usually every couple of years. If you're, if you're healthy, uh, more frequently, if they find some medical issues that need to be checked, uh, you should get your blood sugar checked once you uh, hit age 45. And you should get your cholesterol checked um, uh, usually around mid-20s and then onward after that every every few years. Um, 
as you as they find uh, risk factors, then that'll dictate how frequently you should have those checked. Now, you know the one risk factor that you can't do anything about is family history, right? Uh, and that one is a very powerful component of all of this. Um, uh, and when we say family history, a positive family history for heart disease is specifically if somebody in your family that's a first degree relative, that means your parents or your siblings have had heart disease, uh, you know, before the age of 55. So, um, so it's not, okay, well, I had an uncle twice removed or even right. an uncle or a grandmother. Right. It's, it's specifically first degree relatives. Uh, so that narrows the focus a little bit, but if you have somebody in your family that has that, um, has that history, that first degree relatives, then you should probably get checked closer to the age of 40 um, because a lot of folks that have a history of family, family a positive family history of heart disease um, might start having symptoms between uh, around their early 40s and mid, mid 40s. Does that go for the same too if, if you're you know, looking for an EKG or I guess uh, proper heart electrical conductivity? Sure. So, um, you know, when we talk about heart disease, when physicians talk about heart disease, what we're talking about is uh, blockages in the, the arteries that supply the muscle of the heart. Um, but when the general population talks about heart disease, it can be a lot more nonspecific. And right. so it can mean, well, you know, I had, a, I had a, a heart arrhythmia so that my heart was beating out of my chest or my heart slowed down um, or I passed out. Uh, and I'm not really sure why, and I think it might be related to my heart, or somebody said it might be related to the heart. Um, so when it comes to heart arrhythmias, if you have that, um, if you have uh, any kind of evidence of that, then you'll want to get checked out by a cardiologist uh, a little earlier. Now, having a heart arrhythmia and having heart disease uh, is very frequently mutually exclusive. So you won't necessarily have heart disease. You won't have blockages in your heart, right. even if you're having a, a heart arrhythmia. Sometimes you can have heart arrhythmias and your your heart is completely clean. In fact, frequently we find that. Okay. Um, now, for those who maybe are interested in, in going and, and seeing their doctor, getting some of these tests done, uh, do do most family doctors do them? And, and are they how invasive are they? I mean, if there's some people who may, may feel some fear going to a physician and, and kind of talking to them about that or, or that pro can you, can you kind of talk through, I guess, a, a standard kind of panel that you would get for that? Absolutely. Um, and so it's very normal for people to fear going to a physician, even if there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, I mean, we even have a term for it. It's called white coat hypertension. Yep. So, um, it so so you're a 45 year old male you're going to the doctor you have maybe a little bit of a family history you think you might have high blood pressure you go see the doctor and you say you know i haven't had any chest pain and uh, but i want to be kind of screened to see if i have any kind of heart disease um, most of our our tests are screening tests so the first thing that a physician will probably do is you know get some blood work so, I mean, obviously, after they do their history and physical, uh, they'll listen to your heart. Um, then they'll get some blood work, so that'll include a cholesterol screen. You'll want to be fasting for that. They'll check your blood sugar, and they will. Uh, they may do an EKG. So an EKG or an electrocardiogram, 
So you, we have to be able to dis- distinguish that from an echocardiogram. So I can't tell you the number of times that patients come to me and I say, have you had an echocardiogram? And they said, yeah, they did one in the office. You know, they hooked me up and then they checked, checked my heart rhythm for eight seconds. All the leads, yeah. Right. And so that's different than an, an echocardiogram is an ultrasound of the heart. That's not a first line th- uh, test. First line test would be an EKG. Now, what an EKG is going to do is it's going to look at your heart rhythm and uh, uh, cardiologists and primary care doctors can look at that and see if there's evidence of a scar. So if you have a scar on your heart, um, then the, uh, the electrical current will conduct differently through that. Okay. And you can, you can pretty much tell if somebody's had a previous heart attack frequently on EKGs. Really? Now, the limitation with an EKG is that it's only eight seconds in time. So if you're coming in with chest pain and you're breaking out in a sweat and it's radiating and it's the classic signs and symptoms and they do an EKG, they freak, and it's truly a heart attack, they will be able to assess that on the EKG if you're having symptoms. But what happens with the other 99% of the population that's not having symptoms? Uh, the EKG is not, a, not a, uh, a, you know, a perfect test when it comes to assessing if you have heart disease. All it can really do is tell you whether you've had a scar, whether you have scar, whether you have some sort of basic rhythm abnormality, and whether you're actively having a heart attack. Um, outside of those uh, things, uh, it won't, won't tell you um, if you may be at risk for having a heart attack necessarily. So, so the physician is going to talk to you, or the APC, they'll talk to you and they'll uh, try to figure out what your risk factors are. If you're high risk, uh, and there's actually all these formulas that we can we can use for this. But if you're high risk, so you go in, you say, you know, every time I walk, I get pain in my chest. It goes away when I'm at rest. Uh, I've got a family history, and I'm, I'm overweight, and I think, I'm, I think I might have elevated blood pressure, but I'm not really treating it. Mm-hmm. That's a classic example of somebody that a, cardiolo- uh, a primary care doctor will, regardless of what the EKG shows, will probably refer them to a cardiologist for the next level of testing. Yeah. I've personally had an EKG, and I'd say the hardest part for it was when they just shaved my chest. <laughs> so it's, it's, let me tell you, it's a lot harder if they don't shave your chest because when they pull those leads off, <laughs> if they haven't sh- shaved your chest, then it's sort of like C- Steve Carell and the 40-year-old virgin. <laughs> That's the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad they did. But um, no, for anyone who's interested in getting that done or, or if the doctor physician asked to do it, it's, it's very simple. Yeah, easy process. Yeah, very, very easy. It usually takes about uh, 10, 15 minutes at the most. Um, all right, cool. So where would be a good place for people to learn um, about improving their heart health? So lots of resources. Um, you know, um, American healthcare has definitely been geared uh, uh, against um, heart disease for a good chunk of time. Um, and uh, we have more research on heart health than anything else. So I think a good resource right from the start is uh, the American Heart Association. There's also um, heart.org. Um, these are great places uh, to get uh, at least, you, you can get information as deep as you want it. So if you want sort of a superficial level of knowledge, they have, uh, they have resources for that. If you want uh, deeper knowledge, they have resources for that. Uh, these are websites where, um, you know, they're, they're geared for everybody as far as from novice to all the way to uh, physicians, professionals, et cetera. 
Yeah, and I, I noticed that the American Heart Association actually has a campaign going. It's called Life Simple 7, um, where they kind of have like little icons you can click on. It talks about how you can stop smoking or be more active and kind of providing simple guidelines. Um, I know for the activity one, it was a fit in 150 plus, And it's kind of talking about, you know, what your expectations are for um, moderate exercise every week. So um, that's a great resource as well. Um, you know, go check that out if you if you guys are looking for more. Um, I know here at our hospital, we're currently running a campaign called Shine a Light, uh, where we shine a light on women's heart health. Um, if you want to look more into that, you can go to chistlukeshealth.org forward slash sign, um, shine, sorry, forward slash shine. Uh, there's a bunch of stats, blogs, heart health quizzes, and other heart healthy resources you guys can check out there. Um, well, I think there's one last thing before we go. Um, we are also going to be opening here at our Woodlands campus, the Dan L. Duncan Comprehensive Cancer Center. Is it open yet? It is open. Um, so uh, we already have oncologists, radiation oncologists, um, um, that have already started practicing out here. They're already getting busy and ramped up. And, and the plan is for for this program to continue uh, advancing. And so what Daniel Duncan is, um, is, the, is one of only two um, level one comprehensive cancer centers uh, in Houston. Uh, the other one is MD Anderson. Big time. Right. Um, and, you know, MD Anderson uh, obviously is world-renowned. Daniel Duncan is also world-renowned. We just, I don't think we know about it enough here in the Houston market as much as people know about it in other parts uh, of, uh, of the United States. The, um, Daniel Duncan is uh, through Baylor College of Medicine. And uh, for those who don't know, Baylor College of Medicine uh, was one of the original sites for the Human Genome Project. Um, and so that means that um, they have access to all of that data and information that they got through the Human Genome Project. Uh, that platform, as far as gene therapy, uh, is uh, very advanced when it comes to Daniel Duncan and uh, Baylor College of Medicine, when it, and specifically when it comes to treating cancer. That's great. So if you want to learn a little bit more about that, uh, you can go to chistlukeshealth.org. Uh, I believe right now it's underneath the Featured Updates section. Um, you click on that link, and it'll take you there. You can learn about some of the physicians we have there and, and what we can provide. Um, thank you, Dr. Raza, for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and um, we, we appreciate you guys listening. Um, stay tuned. Uh, there should be another episode coming, and thanks again. Have a good one.